so I was working three jobs at once and wow. I have I to didn't say even know it was, that was possible yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was tough it was very tough I didn't balance my time well at the beginning Um, I was probably working 20 to 30 hours on the side of my you know, 40 hour mm -hmm. full-time job. At GitLab, they require all the designers to work with our product. So we use GitLab, like we dog food our own product to do our daily work. And so that's really what helped me because you're required to learn the area that you're working in. So you have to put yourself in the developer's shoes or whatever persona you are and learn actually what they're doing. I would say that that was the most beneficial thing for me to learn what GitLab really does is using that product. GitLab has everything documented, which is insane. So they're super open source. They stick to that. And you can find their whole product development flow is what it's called. And it's documented in their handbook. That doesn't mean that you have to follow every step, but I'll walk through the steps. There's different stages. The first one would be... What's up, everybody? I'm Guo, and you're listening to the Not Just Pixel Show. There's a lot to learn as a designer. So in this show, I sit down with design professionals to understand how to grow as a designer and help you get that UX design internship or job. Let's get into it. Today, I'm talking to Gina Doyle. Gina currently works as a product designer, designing the testing and runner aspects of the CI slash CD features at GitLab. Before GitLab, she once worked as a contract designer at Instacart and Hira Realty Group and worked in-house at Red Hat for multiple years. Also, in October of 2021, Gina started a design consulting company called SVG Consulting Group with her brother and mom, which I found super fascinating. Now, during our conversation, one pattern that I realized in Gina's career was that she was always designing in highly technical areas, primarily in developer and internal tooling. Thus, in this episode, we delved into pretty technical stuff, and Gina shared valuable advice about working with developers, Galab's product development flow, and tips for any designers about to enter a technical field. So, if you want to improve your collaboration skills with developer, this episode is filled with goodness for you. So, without further ado, here's my conversation with Gina Doyle. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. It's my first podcast ever. It's my honor to have this as your first podcast experience. <laughs> <laughs> so, I would like to start from your background. So, going back in time. After you graduated from Tufts, you worked at Red Hat for approximately three years. You first worked as an associate interaction designer, then you turned into an interaction designer. And for the listeners who might not have heard of Red Hat, Red Hat is a software company that provides open source software products to enterprises. So I would just love to learn like briefly, what did you work on at Red Hat for each of your roles? Yeah. I actually started there as an intern um, while I was a junior at Tufts. So I was working in the summer there. And at that point, I was working on their Red Hat developer website. Mm -hmm. That was more of a 
you could call it a product team, but their goal was to provide developers a place to learn about the technology that Red Hat provided. Mm -hmm. And then they also presented the different products that we provided. Some were free and some were paid. And then it also gave them a chance to just talk about technology that they were learning and provide that sense of community. So when I started working on that, the website was really outdated Mm. and it it didn't use much of a design system, which we had at Red Hat. It's called Patternfly. So the whole goal of that was to revamp that website using those Patternfly components as my base. And that's actually where I started getting more involved with development too. I had the the chance to, we use Drupal, which was our content mm-hmm. management system for that website. Mm-hmm. And I, I learned on the job, basically, how to use HTML and CSS to achieve what I wanted to for those different web pages that we were creating. Mm-hmm. So for example, if the design components didn't include the things that I wanted, I could customize those using the HTML. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was that was awesome and allowed me to learn more kind of put this, the basic CS classes that I learned at Tufts, mm-hmm. those skills mm-hmm. to use. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned that like you learned HTML on like doing the job. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you learn that particularly? Because it, it sounds like you also took some CS classes back at Tufts as well. Yeah. So I, I'm majored in engineering psych, but we learn as long as it's still required, we had to take the CS, I don't even know, intro to CS. And then there was like Mm. another CS class. Yeah. And yes. So I had those two under my belt, but but I didn't, I didn't really know, you know, how to use it in real life context. So um, Mm. I relied a lot on my team members that I was working with. So I was working with front end developers and Mm. it was Mm -hmm. like, and then I also used Google to kind of understand mm. what Always to do there. Always the best professor. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's that's how I ended up learning it. And it, it was trial and error, you know, just mm. trying to get what I wanted to see on the page. Got it, yeah. Because I last semester I took a class called Web Programming. I don't know if mm. that class was also offered during your years at Tufts. I'm not sure. I, def- I never took it, if mm. so. Oh, yeah, but that class was basically like HTML, CSS, JavaScript, front end, and also back end. I really hated back end stuff. I'm much more of a front end person. Yeah, I, I cannot understand back end. Oh, yeah, I'm the same. But, it, you know, it's it's nice to have that knowledge of the front end code, though, even as a designer. As mm. a designer, you're not required to know that, but right. it helps being able to communicate with the developers. And especially if you go into more of a technical area, you can resonate and empathize with those users more because you understand really like what they're doing. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that you work with front-end engineers. I'm curious, like in any of your projects back at Red Hat, did you also work with back-end engineers? I did. Um, I would say at Red Hat, I was working with backend engineers when I moved to OpenShift, which is mm. more of the traditional product design work that you would think of. So it was an actual OpenShift is really technical, but it's a it's mm. like a Kubernetes container platform that you can manage multiple applications at once. Mm. And so at that point, we had backend engineers, we had PMs, and we had frontend engineers that I was working with. There was also other designers that I, I was collaborating with throughout that. 
Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that project was more about really like learning about the users, talking to customers, which was really cool, running research, and then designing and prototyping, and then handing it off to the developers. So it sounds like it was a full-on like end-to-end product design project. Yeah, yeah. That was my first experience of non-website related, like mm. full product experience. Yeah. Got it. What did you learn from Red Hat that impacted you as a designer that you are today? Because it sounds like you worked on multiple, you worked on websites, you also worked on products, you collaborated with different stakeholders. Yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Yeah, I think um, one of the bigger things was collaboration. And that's something that any job, any company is going to look look for mm-hmm. to see if you've collaborated with PMs, how that works, and if you can do that with developers and other designers. Another thing that I learned actually was how to use a sketch library. So we had, at that point I was using sketch, now I use Figma, but mm-hmm. for sketch, they had these things called symbol libraries. And I was able to lead a project where we created all of the pattern flag components in sketch. So that allowed all of the designers who are using Patternfly at the company. And then, you know, if there was an open source contributor who wanted to use it as well, that allowed mm-hmm. everyone to use them and they're consistent. They can create their web pages or product pages and it will all look the same. That was an amazing learning opportunity for me and has really helped me progress in my career because all the companies use that now to make sure that their designers are efficient. I also did some like, design system work when I was interning at a company called Pega. They were they also had their design system on Sketch, but my role was to move the entire Sketch file into Figma, like the one-to-one version of oh, it. Wow. Which is interesting. Yeah. I definitely learned a lot about like design system and just how complicated it can get. Oh yeah. And also I I'm not sure what Sketch provides now, but at that time, this was like three years ago that I was working on it. They didn't have the same type of flexibility with the components that Figma does. Mm-hmm. So I imagine that being a yeah. difficult task. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I definitely learned about like visual design is is really important, like keeping everything consistent. So yeah, um, I will also love to transition into after Red Hat. And so mm-hmm. another thing that I noticed in your profile is that you had a few contract work experience. You first at Hera Realty Group, and then you were at Instacart. And oftentimes these contract work, they'll overlap with your, I guess, quote unquote, full-time job in a way. How did you find these contract opportunities as a designer? Uh, So this was interesting. I actually found these through Tufts alum. Mm. I played basketball when I was at Tufts and one of the Tufts alumni who had graduated years before me mm-hmm. was looking for a designer to basically like bring the startup that she had in her mind to life. Mm-hmm. So uh, funny story, I reached out through Facebook, you know, mm-hmm. she had the, the job posted there and oh. we ended up having a whole whiteboard session at the gym, at the Tufts gym before <laughs> our alumni game. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, it was very Grinding funny. before the game. <laughs> I love that. So that was yeah. the Hera Realty Yes, exactly. Yeah. So she owns that uh, group and Mm -hmm. she's a real estate agent. So she wanted to make a real estate platform and I'm still working with her today. Mm, Got it. How do you balance the time between, I guess, that work and also your full, because you're also working at a full-time 
Yeah. So that got really difficult, especially because after I started at Hera, her, um, the woman who I was working with, her brother reached out to me who was at Instacart and he wanted me to come in and help design their internal tools to make their engineers more productive Mm. and efficient. And so I was working three jobs at once. And I I didn't even know that was possible. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was tough. It was very tough. I didn't balance my time well at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Um, I was probably working 20 to 30 hours on the side of my 40 hour Mm -hmm. Mm full-time job. And that was when I was at Red Hat. So I learned a lot through that because once I moved to GitLab, I was like, okay, I'm going to get separate computers per per job. So there's no overlap. I made sure everything was off my phone so I wouldn't get distracted. And then I ended up just being upfront with the companies that I was working with. And I said, I'm doing this stuff on the side to GitLab and mm-hmm. they were okay with it. And then to Hera and to um, Instacart, I told them, I'm working 10 hours max per week. And yeah. Mm-hmm. And you know, mm-hmm. like it's hard to be assertive like that, especially for me. I'm, I am a people pleaser. So it's very mm-hmm. difficult to do that, but mm-hmm. that is really what helped me balance my time more. Like setting the boundaries very clear for yeah all three of these companies. I can, I can totally relate to the people pleaser part. I feel like that would be something really hard for me to do <laughs> as well. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, I'm starting also on like a part-time contracting next week. And like, I think I also need to start considering like schoolwork and like the amount of time I spent on that as well. So I think that's Mm -hmm. super great advice to sometimes just have to be bold and (laughs) like set the boundaries very clear. Yeah, because you're ultimately going to help yourself by doing that. And I also wanted to ask about, because in October 2021, you co-founded the SVG Consulting Group. By the way, I love the name. It's <laughs> I'm sure it was very intentional that it was called that. I think for listeners, how would you describe what SVG Consulting Group is? Sure. So we, it's a family company, actually. It's made up of myself, my mom, and my brother. Mm -hmm. And we're a contracting group that provides UX design and research services. So that's myself and my mom. I actually learned what UX was from my mom. Mm -hmm. That's what she was doing. Oh. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then my my brother is uh, an expert in cloud infrastructure and data services. So he does stuff that goes right above my head, uh, mm. but he provides <laughs> he provides those services as well for that company. And so it stands for our names, Serena, Vinny, and Gina. Oh, oh, mm-hmm. I thought also oh, it was a coincidence that it's SVG. Well, we also made it seem like it was design related. So yeah, <laughs> we did SVG. <laughs> oh, okay. That's so interesting. I, I had no idea that there was a, a backstory of how the three names combined into that. That's cool. Yeah. You mentioned that your mom also did UX. Was she a UX designer, UX researcher? Just curious. Yeah, she so she studied computer science when she was in college and did mostly the front end develop she started in front end development. Mm-hmm. And then she moved to human computer interaction, I think is what they called mm-hmm. it then. Mm-hmm. And became a like a, I get, I don't know what you would call it, full stack UX designer. So she did oh. research to design the whole end to end process. Wow. And now she's a product manager at Red Hat. Wow. Okay. 
that's yeah, that's awesome that um, there's a family member that you can always chat about with UX. I feel like that's such a great resource. Yeah, yeah, she taught me a lot too because UX wasn't as common when I started, even in high school. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's great. Yeah, I think even for now, like engineering, I'm also majoring in engineering psychology, and I think the number of people that are majoring in this field at Tufts is just increasing exponentially. <laughs> that's that's great though. That's yeah, awesome. no, I love it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because I was at a club and then a friend was asking another friend like oh what major are you in and then he was like oh engineering psychology and then everybody was like why is everybody like studying in engineering psychology at Tufts now (laughs) yeah but I I like the transition it's getting uh, a lot more popular yeah and Tufts has a really great program for that I would say it looks really good on your resume so Mm -hmm. I would also would like to bring it to the present so currently you're a product designer working at GitLab and for listeners in very simple terms, I try to find the simplest explanation of what GitLab is. GitLab is the one platform that enables developers to develop, secure, and operate softwares in a single application. <laughs> Don't worry if that didn't really make sense in any way, um, but that was like the simplest definition that I can find. On a high level, what do you work on at GitLab? So I'm a product designer there, and I work on the runner and pipeline insights groups. Um, so runner is pretty, it's pretty technical, but it has to do with CI pipelines. Mm-hmm. So it's, if you give a little background, so they are a source code company, so you can, you can save all of your code in one place, but mm-hmm. then they also allow you to build and deploy your applications using the same product. So in that build and deploy applications lifecycle is where Runner fits in. And Runner will pick up whatever code that you want to run to build your application. Mm-hmm. And they're the things that will actually tell the job, this is what you have to do. So it, it gets pretty technical and it allows you to work with different types of applications like Kubernetes or just like Shell or you know a Java, whatever, whatever type of application. Mm-hmm. So I work on the design for that area, as well as for the testing portion of the developer experience. So making sure that your code is um, tested properly, there's no bugs, that type of stuff. And we also work with build artifacts, which is kind of a part of that testing portion, but mm-hmm. it's what comes from when you build something in a pipeline mm-hmm. It will kind of output these files and those are considered artifacts. So mm-hmm. I work across both those groups right now, um, but I'm going to be moving to only runner soon. Mm-hmm. Do you also work with like PMs, different types of engineers, similar to when you worked at Red Hat? Yes. So we have... GitLab is very unique in the way that they group their teams. So like I said in the beginning, Runner is considered its own group and then Pipeline Insights is its own group. In each group, you have PMs, designers, researchers, front-end developers, back-end developers, an engineering engineering manager, Mm -hmm. and I believe that's it. Mm -hmm. Oh, quality team. You have QA. So yeah, I, I do that same. I collaborate with all those people, but it's a pretty small team per group. It's it's pretty much one person in each sector. And I think if 
listeners are listening up to this point, I think there's a recurring pattern that I realized throughout your career is that you've worked on projects that are, at least in my eyes, that are extremely technical and hard to understand at first. Um, just to give the listeners some context on your GitLab job description, you wrote designing the testing and runner aspect, which you just mentioned on GitLab CI slash CD features. When I first read that, before you explained to me, I had absolutely no idea what that meant. So I would just love to learn, like, do you have any best practices or tips for a designer who also is entering a field that's highly technical? Yeah, I would say don't be scared if you don't know what it is before you join. Like, don't let that deter you away from applying to that job. I didn't know a lot of this when I joined. Um, I basically learned by doing. And if you are joining a company company like that, they mm-hmm. will provide you the time to ramp up and get used to it. And they don't expect you to come in and be an expert. That's not what they would expect at all. There are experts at the company that you can talk to. And that's kind of what I relied on as well as Google again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But I think... Um, the, the biggest thing was once I got in at GitLab, they require all the designers to work with our product. So we use GitLab, like we dog food our own product to do our daily work. Mm-hmm. And so that's really what helped me because you're required to learn the area that you're working in. So you have to put yourself in the developer's shoes or whatever mm-hmm. persona you are mm-hmm. and learn actually what they're doing. I would say that that was the most beneficial thing for me to learn what GitLab really does is using that product. Mm -hmm. So like being in the shoes of the users that are actually using the product. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think a follow-up that I had on that is because you work with so many different cross-functional team members, I'm curious, how does a project lifecycle works at GitLab? Yeah, GitLab has everything documented, which is insane. So they're super open source. They stick to that. And you can find their whole product development flow is what it's called. And it's documented in their handbook. Mm. That doesn't mean that you have to follow every step, but I'll walk through the steps. There's different stages. The first one would be starting with um, problem validation, which is you have a problem, you think you you in, in the product and you want to validate it with customers. So that can come from PMs and myself meet with customers and kind of hear what's going on, mm-hmm. what the pain points are. And then you bring that into an issue um, in GitLab. You work on some possible solutions for it. So I would design some stuff to, to solve it. Mm-hmm. And then we validate it again with customers to make sure that solution actually works. Mm-hmm. And that's where the research stuff comes into play because you want to analyze all the data that you get as well. Mm-hmm. And and then after that, at that point, we also follow iteration, which is doing the smallest thing possible that is also valuable to the user to move forward. So for example, we would never redesign our entire application at once. Instead, we would release small things to get to that final redesign. And so that's... Um, I guess a part of planning breakdown where we would figure out what's the smallest thing we can do. And then the developers take it from there. They weigh the, they weigh the issue to see how Mm -hmm. long it would take to implement the feature. Mm -hmm. Then they apply it to a milestone, which is how we work on the different features and how we release our code. 
And then on their end, there's more steps to verify that the code that they create is actually working in staging and production. There's no bugs. Mm-hmm. That's basically okay. how it works. Got it. I see. Yeah, I'll definitely search that up and then put it in the show notes. I think that'll be okay. super helpful as well. Because I wanted to go back to the validation part that you mentioned very early on in the beginning. I think one of my main takeaways for my last summer internship was that like a lot of times it's really like research. Normally the main goal is to try to validate the hypothesis that you have before going in. I've always thought research more as just like a step that I have to do before I can actually start designing, which is really not the right mindset. So it's awesome to hear like companies have their own process of like validating. Yeah, I I agree. And GitLab is the first company that I've been at, given I've, I haven't worked mm-hmm. at many companies, but <laughs> they were the first one who really had that written out and provided you all the information that you would need. So I, I would say I wasn't a research expert. I definitely feel like I am now because I've done it so much. Mm-hmm. But because they had all that documentation, I was able to learn what methods to use and I have a follow-up on that. So currently, because I'm working as the head of design at Jumbo Code, which I'm sure you're also familiar with, it's a club at Tufts that provides software solutions to nonprofit organizations. And one of the things that I wanted to do is to help the new designers learn skills that will help them like get set up for the club. So one of the skills that I wanted to teach is how to collaborate with front-end and also back-end engineers. So I'm curious, like from your experience, do you have any best practices or things that are good to know for designers before working with front-end or back-end engineers to make the collaboration smoother? I do. One of the things is that the developers will always have their own ideas about what the feature is. Mm -hmm. Definitely listen to those and collaborate with them on those. They might not be the best idea, but it's good to be able to include them when you're brainstorming about what the feature should be. Mm. A second one would be lean on them to understand the feasibility of what you're designing. So for example, if you're creating a dashboard with metrics, they will really be the ones who know we can display a certain metric because they can grab it from the database. Um, So that would be a huge thing to lean on them to understand if the thing you're designing is even possible. And then lastly, With the front-end developers, if you're using a design system, it would be really great to point out the different components that you're using. For example, if it's a form and you're using a drop-down or Mm -hmm. a text input, but also if you are not using a design system, you can point out the hex codes or Mm -hmm. the border colors or the widths um, so that they know exactly what to use when they're coding. Yeah. One thing that I learned from my web programming class is that because mostly what I learned was front end stuff is that you have to be very specific in the values that you select because yeah, each value is one line of the code. So I think understanding that will also be really helpful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I think just having that background knowledge of how that code kind of works, it's not, you don't need to have it as a designer, Mm -hmm. but it really does help being able to communicate with the developers. Yeah. And I know we're coming a little bit short on time, but I would love to ask this final question. It's a question that I like to ask every guest at the very end of the show. So the question is, 
if you're now facing yourself but 20 years old, so back in college, what career slash life advice will you tell the young Gina? I had to think hard about this one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, this is always no, no, a, okay. a tough one to, to ask, but I'm just super curious about what everybody has to say about this. Yeah, I think mine would be, don't be scared of going for what you want. I was not super confident in my skills when I came right out of college, and I should have been. We have that education and mm-hmm. more expertise in design, and that made me stay at Red Hat longer than I wanted to. And I wish that I had taken those opportunities and just like went for them and didn't care about the confidence. Like, Mm -hmm. I would say that's the biggest thing. Was there a point where I guess you felt like, oh, yeah, I'm ready to move on and to take the next step in your career? Once I had two years under my belt at Red Hat, I felt more confident. But I I could have been fine if I had one year under my belt or Mm. less than that, honestly. But for me, I'm very loyal in the companies that I work with. So it's hard for me to even leave them because I feel like I am there for a reason. Kind of just got to forget that sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's so hard to do because you mentioned that pleasing people, being a people pleaser is like who you are as a person as well. So it's really hard to do those things. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of times it's like the validation part is really more internal, internal validation. It's like, I want to make sure that I feel okay about this next decision, even though it may be you're already at moment, uh, you're already ready at the moment. Exactly. Yeah. And I wish I pushed through that and just went for it because a lot of the time I, I'm doing software design, but mm. I did want to explore doing more of physical product design. And I had an opportunity at Sonos and I was like, "Mm, I don't think I'm ready yet. And I was, I could have done it. Is that something that you might continue pursuing in the future? Industrial design? Potentially, depending on if the the right opportunity came up, but I'm really happy at GitLab right now. I do feel like I'm Mm -hmm. growing a lot there and getting what I wanted Mm -hmm. from, from that company. So I'm not sure yet. <laughs> <laughs> the future is very unpredictable. But oh, yes. <laughs> but yeah, I think with that, Gina, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. I really appreciate it. It was really fun talking to you and also hearing about how things are going at Tufts and everything. So yeah, thanks. Trip down to Memory Lane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thank you so much. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode. I really appreciate your time. And again, before we say goodbye, my name is Guo, and you've just listened to the Not Just Pixel Show. And I'll see you in the next episode.